You're listening to the Jason Greger Show podcast brought to you by Lakewood Chevrolet. Up to 20% off MSRP cash purchase credit right now. 0% financing for up to 84 months OAC and up to $14,500 in total cash purchase credits. Only available at Lakewood Chevrolet. Kerry Fraser, 30 years as an NHL official. He's an author, uh, analyst, uh, joins us now. Kerry, I, I want to talk about the... Uh, the Matheson Pedersen uh, play on the ice. There was no call. Now some could say it was, it was probably roughing, uh, and I understand the end result. I believe really impacted the suspension. If he throws him down like that, and there's and there's uh, and Pedersen gets out, I don't I don't think people are even talking about it. Uh, wh- what do you make of that, and why do you think there was no call on the ice? Well, to be honest with you, I didn't like the play at all, Gregor. Uh, when I looked at it first time. Uh, the throwdown uh, was in punishment uh, and re- retaliation for being undressed in the corner. And, uh, you know, I, I had an argument with Chris Nyland the other day a little bit on the radio where, yeah, it's happened, you know, so what? He beat him, so what? Well, you know, if a player is embarrassed or if a player feels as though he took a shot and there's a gap in space and time, and that player that's upset for whatever reason tracks, hunts, chases down his opponent and delivers something that is not a hockey player, that is purely designed to inflict punishment, that's when me, my mindset as a referee goes, match penalty, match penalty, potential. And that's what I saw here the very first time I looked at it. Uh, the play was dead. It was finished. player was sealed against the wall. Pucks changed hands. We don't have to finish it in the aggressive manner that resulted in an injury. And I think you're right. That, you know, that certainly had some impact on uh, suspension being levied. But it just was senseless. Uh, and those are the kinds of plays when you dump a guy on his head that have to be suspendable. It was under the previous sort of situation. I think two games is what was applied. I would have liked to have seen it in the new this year sort of standard uh, that we've uh, seen uh, with Wilson's 20-gamer. I would like to have seen a three-game on this just to uh, kind of sweeten the pot a bit. Okay. Um, yeah, well, I, I want to I then ask about carryover for officials because there's no call on the play, and, you know, it's happened yeah. a few times, and then it results in a suspension. I'm sure the officials are like, man, now not only did I miss the play, it's a pretty serious play because it results in a suspension. On Tuesday night, the Oilers play the Winnipeg Jets. Milan Lucic comes in with the most textbook body check that I've seen in a long time. He did not take a stride from basically the hash marks down towards net. Chariot was up against the boards. It's a perfect arm in, shoulder on shoulder hit up against the boards. Chariot goes down. The official's in the corner. He looks, hesitates, and Chariot gets up slow. All of a sudden, boom, hands up. He signals charging for Milan Lucic. It's impossible to be charging when you're coasting, I believe, from the hash marks down on that play. I look at that. I see the official and say, uh-oh, this guy's injured. Now i got to call a play because the guy's injured. Do you think that plays in the minds of some officials when a call like that is just in the news story and now you have a guy in the most perfectly clean body check that you can deliver getting called for charging because the official thought the guy was hurt? Yes, unfortunately, uh, there's some that would have that play on their mind. Um, you know, it, it, 
if it, it wouldn't necessarily have to be the same referee, the same official uh, that decided for whatever reason that it wasn't worthy of an infraction, a call uh, that resulted in the suspension. We've seen many of those over the course of the last few years. Uh, I've talked consistently about the referees having to know the difference between different degrees of infraction, be it a minor uh, or a nothing, uh, or a major penalty or something that goes into the level of potential discipline. They need to be on the same page as uh, the Department of Player Safety as close as they can. Uh, and I know the Department of Safety has always said, hey, we don't worry about what the official calls or doesn't call. We have the opportunity to slow it down, to replay it. The official doesn't have that. I get it. But when you're standing looking at something with a clear view, you really have to have the right judgment on the play and know what's acceptable and what isn't. And so an overreaction can be as bad uh, as a non-call on something that deserves a penalty. Uh, Milan Lucic is a solid performer. Uh, he plays the game the right way. Uh, he can be aggressive. He can flip the switch. But when you're talking about a very specific kind of body check that is good for the game, that has to stay in the game, and just by virtue of Milan Lucic being stronger or more solid, when he takes the approach that he did, that is a legal play. It's a legal body check. And if the player isn't prepared for it or puts himself in a situation where he couldn't properly defend against the impact, that's on him. That's not on Milan Lucic. So in your experience, I know you've, you've evaluated officials. You've, you've been in the two-man system. You've been on the ice yourself. Guys are going to make calls. When, when you see an official hesitate like that, did you find with your experience that now they're trying to look to see if there's something there? Because uh, uh, supposedly he told Connor McDavid that Lucic hit the guy when he was in a vulnerable position. Well, he wasn't in a vulnerable position, though. That's, that's ex exactly true. That, that delay, and I've always said, if you see something and you have to think about it for an extended period, odds are it wasn't. My my gut reaction, my instinct on a play was pretty darn good. And I really trusted my first instinct uh, and, and my judgment on that instinct. Uh, when there was a gap in time, and it almost looks like sometimes the crowd makes the call because there's that pause, that gap, the pregnant pause where it's going through the official's mind and he's replaying it in his mind. Uh, was it that bad? I, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, maybe it was. Oh, I better put my arm up. That's, that's not reactionary. Uh, that's uh, becoming uh, more of a, uh, a sitting on the bench as a, uh, a juror and uh, listening to all the evidence and pulling it in. This game is so fast, and you have to, as an official, you have to think the game as quickly as the game is being played. And that's when you react to situations that occur in the moment and not have to take the time to think about it. Uh, that's, you know, certainly, if you, if you trust your judgment and you trust your instinct, your hand is going to fly up uh, when you see an infraction. And if you have to make a pause, and I've often said to young guys I work with in the two-referee system, if you have to think about it for an extended period, odds are it's not the time you want to put your arm up because at that point the play is gone. You're not going to see it again. You're making a guess, and oftentimes the guess is the wrong one. 
Carrie Fraser joins us, and, and I appreciate your insight on this, Carrie. And that's that's just one where that official then, I, I would assume somebody talks and says, okay, this is why, let's go through the play, and you have to be honest with yourself and say, yeah, you know what, I did get influenced by the crowd. Suddenly now I thought I saw something that wasn't there. How do you learn as an official to not have that happen again? Because it's really a split-second decision. Well, it is, but I tell you, you hit the nail on the head, Gregor. When you said the official has to be perfectly honest with himself, we can often be our best or worst critics. And when you're your best critic, when you can take an honest, objective approach and look in the mirror and not have to feel like you have to defend the call, you know, when there's a supervisor comes in, and and I've often seen younger officials or even some veteran officials that just always have to be right. They have to prove their point. They argue things that don't make any sense. Um, when we moved into the two-referee system, uh, there would be times uh, on the ice where I could have a chat with, a, with an official because he had a different angle, he had a different look, and the player was upset and maybe uh, slammed the door and, and there was some hostility. And I had to try and gently bring the, the official uh, to calm down a little bit and to have an objective look at it. I had one play in Vancouver one night, and a player was skating in uh, against towards a defenseman just at the blue line, and he fell down. He was in close proximity to the D-man, but just fell down, caught an edge and went down. Well, the referee, the young referee from the far side, uh, back angle, thought he was tripped. It happened. He made a mistake. But what happened then was the player that was going to get this errant penalty went angry, started yelling at the official. The official yelled back at him, told him, to get it, told him to get in the blank box where he was going to get another one. The officials, or the re, uh, player slammed the door a little bit in frustration. The referee went back to the door, opened the door, and gave him a lecture, and now we go to commercial. And it was the wrong call. Mm-hmm. I waited for a second until the steam kind of settled, and I said to the young guy, did you get a good look at that play? Well, he went 90 miles an hour ballistic on me. He said, I saw that play. It was a good call. And he skated away from me. So that was the situation where if somebody said to me from game one to game 1,904, did you get a good look at that play? I would say, talk to me. What did you see that I didn't? Help me out here. Let's talk about it. This guy had to be right. He was wrong. He flew off the handle at the player and he couldn't accept any kind of open dialogue uh, from me as his as, uh, senior colleague. Uh, I, I spoke to a, a few different players, uh, uh, the, in, you know, over the last season, at the end of it last year, and even early this year, and a lot of them say the same thing when it comes to communication with today's referees, Kerry, that there just isn't any. And, you know, you talked about how, hey, when you'd miss a call, if you'd skate by the guy, uh, hey, uh, sorry, Wendell, I missed that call. Usually the player's like, Okay, Gary. Yeah, and it's done. Like, it diffuses it right away. Why are today's officials not willing to communicate? Are they taught not to communicate as much? Why are we seeing less communication, just actual human communication between officials and players now than we used to? Well, the the game, television costs a lot of money. The officials are sort of instructed to keep the play moving, keep the play moving, limit your talking, 
Don't get into uh, disputes and dialogues. It makes for bad TV. There's microphones all over the rink. Uh, you don't want to get caught in a bad situation. I totally disagree with the philosophy that you shouldn't take a moment to explain things. It can diffuse a situation that can become volatile or is even volatile. Mm -hmm. I would tend to go to the bench sometimes and speak directly to the coach instead of a captain or a player that might deliver a message uh, incorrectly. He might say, ah, the guy said this and that, he's a jerk or whatever. I would sooner go to the coach and say, coach, I'd like to have a word with you if I may. Let's have a discussion. We may not agree at the end of the conversation, but this is, this is, what, I thought, this is what I saw or called or didn't call. And we can, we can settle it there. We can bring the temperature down. If players know that you're approachable, they're going to be less hostile towards you right off the bat. If they think that you, you're just unapproachable and, and uh, they can't talk to you and you're arrogant, and then they start to surmise all these things about an official's personality that may not be accurate. Yeah. I'd like to give them what they see, and I'd like to be able to say to them, hey, listen, let's have a convo, if, if, but we're going to do it respectfully and the referee can or the official can keep the tone in a proper way by his body language uh, by his uh, tone by not being aggressive or antagonistic are they taught that now like is there referee school on how to have that communication or is that something that's lost in in this era of officials well it's become lost and obviously it's not being taught uh, it's it's not. Uh, I mean, I, I saw in watching games. Uh, I've seen officials trigger a bench miner from 85 feet away when when you know it it already had been settled. And the coach in this one particular case, it was Joel Quenville. It was an American Hockey League referee that was called up to do a few games. And Mark Joannette had had a conversation with Joel. Joel was still upset, and uh, but. The senior official, Joannette, skated away, was given the coach his space to sort of calm down and not put him in a position where he'd have to uh, trigger him for a bench minor. Uh, but it was the young kid from 85, 90 feet away that felt it was his job to take control of this, and he banged the coach for an unsportsmanlike conduct or a bench penalty, and uh, it was so inappropriate. Uh, it's not the way to earn your respect. Kerry, one last one. I got to text. I got to. Sorry, I wanted to talk about. I wanted, uh, if I may, I wanted to talk about talk about respect. Connor McDavid's first goal on that power play against Winnipeg. That kid is amazing. He's got an extra gear when he burst around the defenseman uh, to cut to the net. It was effortless. He wasn't even hardly moving his feet. And I know there's another gear there that he didn't even have to have to use i was i was blown away by it yeah i i it would be great to talk to officials who and i'm sure you were on the ice you know gretzky and lemieux and lots of great players and as an official did you ever did you ever get caught up and uh, did you have to remind yourself okay don't don't become a fan here almost where you're just like man look at the greatness that's happening literally three feet in front of me how did you avoid that as an official because i'm sure at times you, like there's no ref that can skate as fast as mcdavid heck there's no guy in the league that can skate as fast as mcdavid is it a challenge for officials not to get caught up in the wow moments oh man what a blessing i look at it as a blessing there were so many times where my jaw dropped you know whether it was gretzky lemieux uh we had so many, uh, Kent Nielsen, they called him magic. I mean, 
so many things that would occur on the ice, and I'd be 15 feet from it. People would buy a ticket and not get that close. They'd pay over a hundred and some dollars to be, you know, first row of the glass. And here I am. I can smell their sweat, and I'm watching this play that is over the top. And but you know what? I could do two things at once. I could chew gum and skate, so I could still watch when a player and appreciate the amazing skill and and plays that were made uh, as as a fan, but also the guy that had to stay focused to make the call. Gary, uh, good stuff as always. Uh, We appreciate it. We will uh, talk to you next week. Have a good week. Look forward to it, and uh, big game for the Oilers at home. Oh, yeah, huge game. Uh, Looking forward to it. That is Kerry Fraser. We go uh, Inside the Stripes NHL edition. You're listening to the Jason Greger Show podcast brought to you by Lakewood Chevrolet. Up to 20% off MSRP cash purchase credit right now. 0% financing for up to 84 months OAC and up to $14,500 in total cash purchase credits. Only available at Lakewood Chevrolet.